All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them and open them. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 4. We're going through this series where we are studying through this gospel. And uh, we'll talk about the grapes in a second because they're delicious. Do we have anybody who's ever grown grapes here? Oh, wow. Awesome. A few of you. Okay. So I'll be preaching to the choir to some of you. Um, but we all enjoy, well, I don't say we all. Do we have any grape haters in here? <laughs> anybody willing to admit to be a grape hater? Um, love grapes. They're delicious. Um, so we're going to talk about those as we talk about um, this, this passage that really hits on four different types of soil. And you might be familiar with it. This may be a passage you've heard before. Um, but if you haven't, um, hopefully it comes with fresh perspective and hopefully we can uh, bring some meaning and value to uh, what this passage is all about. So um, we've been going through looking at Jesus's journey as, um, as Mark writes this gospel, as he captures his life, um, starting from in the beginning God was the Word and became flesh and blood, and we begin to see how he interacts with people along the road um, as he interacts with his disciples, and where we pick up here only in chapter 4 is he's called his disciples, he's rallied them, he's been preaching, he's been healing, he's been doing all these miraculous things, and now he gives some questionable farming tips, all right? Um, and we're going to talk about why that's questionable and why we need to question it, why we need to dig into it, um, because these farming tips apply to our life here 2,000 years later, which is awesome, um, and continues to um, apply to us. Even if you're a believer, even if you're like, yeah, my soil's good, I'm, I got this all fit. I've heard this passage, I know what you're talking about, I know where you're going with this, with the fruit and the whole thing. Um, my prayer is that you begin to see that there's a process that happens in our soil. Our heart can begin to be in different places at different times. So um, we, uh, we, when we pick up grapes, when we pick up fruit, um, think of all the fruit that you pick up maybe during the week or maybe you don't pick up. I don't know. Whatever produce you pick up. Um, we're pretty removed from that process, aren't we? Like we just walk into a grocery store grab this guy right here, throw it into our cart or a basket or whatever. We take it home and we devour it. We have no clue. Well, I don't say all of us. I'm not going to lump all of you into this, but we have no clue what the farmer was going through when that farmer made these, right? Like we are so disconnected from it. Um, we don't know the process that it took. Maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not belittling you, but we don't know all the details. We just know that I can spend five bucks and get a whole thing of grapes and they're good to go and they should be sweet, right? And we're angry if they're not sweet or they're angry if they're not the way that we want them to be, um, which I, I've been wrestling with. I've been thinking through that. Like our disconnection from fruit, I think sometimes shapes not only our faith, but our understanding of the end result of things, right? Like we get to this point where we get to enjoy something and not have to really work super hard on the front end to get to this point. You may have worked your job to earn the $5 that it took to buy these. Um, so you're saying, yeah, I worked hard for that. But when it comes to the actual process of reaping the benefits of this, I think we get so disconnected that we don't truly appreciate it. That we don't get to this point where we go, wow, there was so much that went into this. And I'm sure some of you are like, I've never really thought that deep about my grapes. I just eat my grapes, right? Um, but today, let's think deeply about our grapes. Let's think deeply about the fruit that we get to benefit from 
and how much it took to get to this point, okay? Um, And if you don't like grapes, use another fruit, whatever fruit you really love. I love mangoes as well, Um, so maybe mangoes is a better fruit for you to to picture. Um, But in, in order for us to really capture this passage, we have to understand that There's a farming process that takes place that we, 2,000 years later, are so removed from that that culture would have been like, wait, you just go pick those up? That's crazy. Like, I know the farmer, and I know his name, and he lives in our town, and I've watched how hard it is when there's no rain, and he doesn't get to, like, reap a harvest, and we don't get grapes that season or whatever, you know? Um, There was such a disconnection to the listeners of this passage that I almost have to set up and say, Let's acknowledge that. Let's, let's own it, and then, um, and then we can begin to move forward in a really, really healthy way. Um, so I'm just going to, like, give the, the, the crux of this message or the, the ending of this message right off the bat that fruit is what Jesus is after. Like, he wants us to thrive in life. And the seed that is planted that you're going to hear about here in a second because it's kind of a big passage that I'm going to read. So the seed that you hear here um, is the word of God being shared, being spread out into the world that we live in. Um, And when Jesus talks about sharing this seed, when he talks about spreading the seed all over the soils, these different soils that he's going to hit on, um, he's talking about this life-giving, this life-enriching, transforming message Okay, so don't just think of just seeds like, oh, yeah, it's seeds that fall on the ground and they may grow and they may end up in grapes. But really think of it in terms of your life and what Jesus is trying to bring in the gospel and what he's trying to do when he says, I want to bring you life to the full. Um, that that's ultimately what he's trying to do here. And then he's going to talk about these different soils. So random fact, grapes like, those of you that have grown grapes, a pH soil of 5 to 6.5. Just going to throw that out there. Just want to make sure you know that, okay? Um, We might circle around to that. We'll see. But the pH of the soil is key. If you don't have 5 to 6.5, guess what you don't get? All right. Mental note. Okay, here we go. Let's read. Um, Starting out, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. It's a big one. I'm just warning you. There's going to be like four slides, which is normally like two. So here we go. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Again, so this is all about him like taking on this like challenge of like, I'm going to bring this message to the people. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he had to get into a boat and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. What does that automatically tell you about what Jesus is doing and what's happening as he walks around and teaches. So many people that he's in a boat and everybody's on shore, right? So like people would have known this. Like as Mark writes this gospel, he's like, this is a note that you need to pay attention to. Like there was that many people. What Jesus was saying had an impact. He taught them many things, all kinds of stuff in parables. And, his, and in his teaching, he said, listen, if you want to underline, highlight, listen, that's a key ingredient to this whole thing. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he, as he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So, that they, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. 
It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said this, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. All right? It's very subversive, very poetic, very like, just told you a story about soil. If you want to hear, you got to listen. Check this out. Verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked, so there's more than just the disciples. Other people were like, what was with that story about farming? I don't really get it. Asked him about the parables. He said, tell us more about this. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything he is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Otherwise, they might actually receive this beautiful gift, this fruit that might happen. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? And here's where he explains it. How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they had no root, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution, if you want to underline something, that would be it, comes because of this world, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, parts to underline here, worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like the seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some what? A hundred times what was sown. All right, so here's the the parable of the soils. He says it. The disciples are like, what's going on? They lean in. They're like, there's something with that. Like, why are you telling stories about farmers? I want to know more. They lean in, and he tells them. He's like, here's what it is. First of all, why would Jesus need to speak in a parable? Why would he need to be subversive about his message? The first thing I want to like, make note of is if you have so many people that are following you, right? Because remember what happened at the shoreline. He has to get in a boat. There's so many people pushing in that he can't speak because they all just want to be near him. And so he has to kind of create a bit of a boundary, right? He does that because people are coming at him because they want to be healed. In other stories, we begin to see that he feeds thousands of people. They want to be fed. They want want this transformation. They want this thing that Jesus offers, but some of them only want it because they want physical repair. They want a better life, a better way of living, whatever it is. They want resources, whatever it is. They just see an opportunity rather than a real transformation. So what Jesus does here is he goes, for those of you that are maybe here just listening because you want to selfishly gain something, he's like, let's weed all that out. Let's let you hear the thing that will actually transform your life. That's not just, I'm going to fix your hand. I'm going to fix your hand and your heart and the deepest longings of your life, right? Because that's what we begin to see leading up to this is that Jesus has this kind of authority that is beyond just a physical 
temporary kind of thing. He talks about the kingdom that is at hand that's meant to transform all of life. And I say all of life because it's not just a hand. It's not just being able to walk. It's not just finances or some kind of healing that somebody has where Jesus steps in and transforms life, right? Um, He goes even beyond that. And what happens is we begin to hear something selfish in some of these stories. And what Jesus wants us to do is lean in deeper and hear the deeper story. So an illustration is this clip, and you are probably going to recognize it instantly. But um, one of the things that happens is we begin to mess up really the message of what Jesus is bringing, and we hear what we want to hear. And we kind of hear some things, and we want to like argue about really what's going on and say like it means a certain thing. And what Jesus is doing is clarifying that. He's like, when we lean in and really listen, we begin to really get what he's saying. So check this out. What was that? I don't know. It's too busy talking a big nose. I think it was, blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> What's so special about the cheesemakers? Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. See, if you haven't been going on, we'd have heard that, big nose. Hey, say that once more, I'll smash your bloody face in. Better keep listening. Might be a bit about blessed are the big noses. Oh, lay off him. Not meant to be taken literally. All manufacturers of dairy products are equally blessed. (laughs) They instantly hear what they want to hear, right? And they're like, he's like, no, no, no. And I already have an interpretation of what he just said, right? I show that because I think sometimes, and Matt brought this clip up, and I was like, this is brilliant, um, because it makes the point clearly that I think we read into some things sometimes, and we go, yeah, blessed are the cheesemakers, you know, like, blessed are, look, whatever, like, fill in your own blank, and we come up with our own definition of what a parable says and what it means to us, but what Jesus is trying to do is to bring clarity through a story that helps us begin to understand truly the deeper meaning. And so often we get caught up, like, thinking, overthinking it, right? They're overthinking it already, and all they just heard was, like, some, like, random, like, um, echo that wasn't even correct, right? And blessed are the cheesemakers. And, like, come on, are you kidding me? Um, and, and I think that that takes place in our lives quite often because we begin to lose the fact that Jesus is this authority on life. And we lose the fact that his authority has this ability to transform life in a very real way. Um, And and what I mean by that is when you begin to um, look at the the previous passages where Jesus uh, calls his disciples and then he talks about really what it means to be demon-possessed and he gets into all the demons and the battle that goes on there, um, what he's doing there is he's He's demonstrating his authority and his ability to not only bring people along and show them really life to the full, but then talk about what life and life to the full looks like in a very real, tangible way. Um, What he's done here is shown that he is a trustworthy entity, that he is worth following. And um, the term that Carissa brought up in our our staff meeting, because we sermon prep these things and we kind of talk about it, was this term bona fide. You guys heard that term? I hadn't heard it in a long time. I was like, bonafide. I haven't heard that since like probably where, oh brother, where art thou? If you've seen that. Um, But they use that term in there. But um, you can see the definition here. It's when something is um, real, the real McCoy, it's genuine, it's not fake, it's not counterfeit. Um, 
it begins to walk the walk. And what Jesus does is he demonstrates that he has this kind of authority, that he is bona fide. Um, and obviously, the it says in the end there, the opposite of bona fide is fake. Um, and what Jesus does, does is he begins to establish that he is, that he has the credentials to talk about life and how to achieve the best possible life. And when he talks about seeds and he talks about soil, what he's doing is saying, there's all these other things that are going to really rob you of life, right? Because he gets into that list where he gets into Satan, which we'll talk about here in a second, um, trouble, persecution, uh, the worries of this life. Ever, anyone ever been worried? Just me? Okay, cool. Yeah, let's move some hands up. Okay. Um, the deceitfulness of wealth. Have ever been de- deceived by wealth or possessions or things, right? What he's saying is that he has the authority, the credentials to speak on these things and really where life is going to come from. Culture will tell us, no, there's other ways and will deceive us and try and convince us that there's other ways. They are not bona fide. They are not authentic. They are not real. They are not qualified. They are not ready for it. And what Jesus does here, he says, lean in, listen. And that's, that would have been a common term that people would have been very familiar with. If you've heard the term Shema, um, it comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. I'll throw it on the screen here, like the very beginning of it. Um, it was a, a, a prayer that people would have been praying every day, right? So this re- it was regarded by Jews as like the most, prayer, most important prayer um, in their daily life um, it, because it reminded them of this simple prayer principle that hear Israel, so listen, hear what's going on. That's what Shema would have been. That whole phrase right there is Shema um, in Hebrew. And then it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so this prayer, this would have been familiar of like continually reminding themselves that God is the one that I stake my life on. And so they would pray this minimum twice a day. And that comes out of continually centering and saying, God is going to be the first thing in my life. Nothing else, not my possessions, not my, my worries, the things, the desires that I have. It's going to be centered around him solely. And so having this prayer continually in their lives would have been something that Jesus references when he says, hear, listen, those who have ears, hear, hear this fact that God is going to be central. And the only way that's going to happen is if you're, the soil of your heart is prepared for it. So, Israel was known at that time for not listening, for gone astray, for getting distracted with other things. And so uh, what we see here is just the centering around being the source for like this rescue mission that Jesus is bringing. Um, And he basically says, lean in, listen. And here's where he has this conversation with his disciples and he breaks breaks it down. Um, So what what I want to do is break down those three soils that lead us up to the really good soil, the fourth soil that produces fruit. Um, So he leans in on this. He leans on his credentials and basically says, where has a seed or this invitation fallen in your life? And this is what he's like basically telling his disciples. He's like, where are you at in this? Um, Culture will tell us this narrative, and these are the three that he breaks down. Success in life comes from finding your purpose in yourself. That's the first one he says. Um, when he talks about Satan, what he's saying is basically that you're going to, I'm not saying that we become Satan, but what I'm saying is that we listen to that voice that's in our head 
Um, how many of you guys have seen, um, what was the movie we watched? Um, black hair, white hair, uh, Cruella. So you guys are familiar with that character, even if you haven't seen the recent movie, which was brilliant, I highly recommend it. Um, we watched it with our kids, so that's how good it was. So there wasn't anything super inappropriate or anything in there. So, um, But it did illustrate beautifully and poetically. If you haven't seen the movie, it doesn't matter. You know the character. You know that half her hair is black, half of it's white. And you get that there's that tension between the good and the evil. And that's what happens in the movie really beautifully. Um, her tension, even in her own identity and understanding that she can be torn towards the dark and she can be torn towards the light and the good. So it's really beautiful in that way. Um, but what I see here that when Jesus talks about that first soil, where Satan robs us of that, I believe that we have that, and I believe that we are often bent towards when that message comes to us, we go, I don't have time. I don't want to do that. I selfishly want to just do things my way, and I don't want to do anything for anybody else. And so our dark side takes over, that we're all capable of both the light and the dark. But what happens is we have this tendency towards it, and we begin to allow Satan. I don't think Satan has any power over any one of us, but we allow him to have that rule in our lives, and then we, the, the word's taken away from us, and it talks about like it's just being stripped away. And it doesn't allow it to take root. It never gets to this point of bearing fruit. And then we don't get the benefit of really what's happening. And so that initial stage is the hardened heart. And the soil that it talks about right there was what? It was a hard path. It was a path that doesn't allow anything for it to grow, basically. And when you think about your life, do you allow things to grow in your life? Do you allow God to step in and plant seeds that begin to grow? And I'm not just talking about salvation, but I'm talking about discipleship and growth because you got to remember, he's sitting with his disciples, teaching them what does it mean to follow him. And what it means to follow him is have this soil that allows a seed to grow, the truth to plant into our lives and allow us to grow and develop. And we as believers, I know that I've been a believer now for 25 years. I know that I can have seasons in my life, even in, even in the week, where, where I know that God's speaking to my life, but I'm, my heart's hardened to the growth that can take place. And the seed of that truth of whether it's patience, whether it's some kind of generosity seed that God's trying to plant in my heart, I know that that can not grow because my heart is hardened. Even as a Christian, we can have a bit of that, Right. So there's elements of this that, are, that Jesus really points out that, um, that can keep us from being transformed. And then the second one is success in life comes from finding our purpose in comfortable living. So he gets into this, and um, let me, uh, real quick here, let me just go back on this passage real quick that, um, that Jesus talks about this kind of the duality, right? I talked about the dark and the light. Um, he says, basically, you can't serve two masters, he says it in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'll just read it real quick. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love, the, uh, and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so he was talking about money in that situation, but really it could be anything. Um, and it's that, that dark side and that light side of our lives. Like, we can't serve both sides. And you see that tension in that movie, which is beautifully portrayed, um, that we have that tension constantly. And you're probably aware of that. You probably see it in your life where you're like, oh, I don't want to change. I don't want to do those things. Um, but the, ultimately, what Jesus is trying to show us is that when we begin to soften our hearts, when we begin to have that prepared soil, we'll bear fruit. And um, 
But I think we have to be aware of that. There has to be this listening, right, that he says over and over. Listen, lean in, and begin to see what happens. And so then the second one was that rocky soil. Um, and he talks about trouble or persecution. And this is where any kind of challenge comes into our lives. That soil, um, we may have sprouted a seed, whatever. We may be starting to grow. God might be starting to take hold in our lives. But because there isn't deep roots, a deep foundation in who God is, we quickly fade away. Um, let me read this passage from 1 Timothy that where Paul really just kind of like brings clarity to this new pastor, Timothy, um, as to how to center life around Jesus. And he says, but godliness, so when we talk about good soil and seeds being planted, with contentment is great gain. Great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Right? So when he talks about troubles and persecution, he's like, you... You come into this world with nothing, you leave with nothing. Um, Those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And so what he's doing is not just talking about money. as We can talk about the desires of our heart. When troubles come and the things that we think are so important that create the challenges in our lives. He said those things can rob us from a relationship with God that thrives. And so these are passages you might be familiar with. The things that we know we shouldn't be doing. But we get constantly told this message in our culture that these are things that make you successful, that will make you happy, that will make you content. But what Jesus does here is he says, don't fall for that. Like, that's a shallow soil that will be temporary, that you may sprout up in, and you may experience some of that goodness for a little while, but it's really going to rob you of life. And then he goes on in the third one, and I would say that this is success in life comes from finding your purpose and possessions and desires, which kind of hits on these passages that we just read, but takes it a little bit further. Um, This idea that the seed falls on thorns, that's the third one. And uh, in Philippians 4, it says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so this is Paul pushing back on this idea that we think that we need possessions, that we need desires, we need these things that will somehow make us happy. He's like, no. That, I, I know what it's like to have all those things. I know what it's like to have a ton of it. I know what it's like to have nothing. And still, like the thing I want to center around is centering around Jesus, centering around him, and that's it. Um, because those things come and go. And then the fourth one. The fourth one is where the seed falls on good soil and it produces fruit, delicious fruit. He uses this analogy of fruit because it's tasty, because we enjoy it. And I think that we understand this analogy because we know that in life there is things that will be truly good that require a lot of work And going back to the very beginning, the pH of the soil matters, right? The amount of sunlight, the amount of water, all of these things play a role in hard work 
and tilling the farm. Like this photo that I have, it's a vineyard where you can see all these, this fruit, and, but all the vines that have created it. All that required pruning. It required work to get to that one point of being able to have this package of fruit, right? Our culture wants us to think that we can go straight to this. Our culture wants us to think that we can just reap the benefits instantly. But there has to be this this soil work that happens in our lives, this process that begins to allow us to really thrive and get to this point where he says, you're going to have a crop of some 30, some 60, some 100-fold because of this work that's been happening in your heart where there's good soil and you're receiving this truth that God is bringing in your life. So my prayer what I'm leaning into is that we accept this invitation, not just as salvation, but that it becomes something that happens in our daily life as disciples, right? Like, if your walk right now, if you're saying, like, I don't know, I'm not experiencing God, I don't know what this is, I don't know how this is really going to transform my life, it's not, I'm not bearing fruit, I would say begin to sit and ask yourself this question, How is the soil of my heart right now? Because if the seeds aren't being able to be planted, you'll never end up at this point of fruit, right? If the seeds aren't growing and putting down deep roots and getting strong and powerful to be able to handle fruit, it's never going to get to that point where this thing becomes, this thing we call Christianity and this walk of following Jesus, it's never going to have that end result. So, what I guess want to challenge us is this difficult thing that doesn't preach really well, right? Of like, do some hard work. And you're like, oh, I got to do hard work. That's what Nate told me to do today. Now I got to go leave this place and like go into my week and do some hard work of like making sure my soil is good in my heart. I say yes, because that's the only thing I know. If I tell you there's just some kind of like cheat code to get to the end, it's a lie. Then I'm like being deceived by really the, the false messages that Jesus is pushing against here. And I don't want to lie to you guys. I don't want to lie to myself. I want to be reminded that we got to center around Jesus. We have to have our, our hearts prepared for this. We have to spend time like pruning in our lives. Maybe it's watering. Maybe it's, it, I don't know what it is for you right now, what it requires, but there has to be this intentionality that says, I want to abide. And so I want to close with this verse from John 15 where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is like the truth that he distills it down to. Check this out. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you, right? Talking about these branches. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So he uses this analogy quite often. You're not gonna bear fruit. You're not gonna experience this thing. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. 30, 60, maybe a hundred fold. Like a lot of fruit's gonna come out of this, but it's gonna require an abiding, like time where you just spend with God, where you're like just looking to him for everything that that happens in life and not to the possessions of this world, to all these like shallow, meaningful, meaningless things that begin to just fade away after a while. I guess what I want to say is like, don't, don't believe the lies of the culture. Don't believe those things. Lean in and listen and begin to hear that success in life comes from finding your purpose in Christ, like solely in that. And I know that's like a cliche, probably phrase of saying it or like trying to boil down Christianity, but really success comes from like centering around Jesus 
and following his way, listening to his truth and allowing that to just saturate all of life so that then we can have some delicious grapes. Oh, can I devour one? Can I get into this thing? Like, the only way I get to receive this right here is because someone worked really hard to get it to, to me to end up on this table. It's sweet. It's good. And that's how it should be. That's how our lives should be. And that's how like, this relationship with God should be. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would be the one thing that we find our contentment in that you would be the one thing that we surrender to, the one thing that we surround or center life around, um, that we center our decisions around, that we center our families around, um, that everything about who we are abides in you. Um, Help us to see the difference between a counterfeit, a fake, and the real deal that you are. And help us to center around that. So Lord, uh, I just pray for strength for everybody in this room that as we leave this place, as we walk through those doors, that we would have the strength of your Holy Spirit to discern the difference between the fake and the real. The fake that is going on in our world, the fake messages that don't deliver, that don't allow us to thrive versus the thing that really brings contentment, that really brings peace brings new life, brings transformation to our soul. And so help us to center in that. Um, I just thank you for each and every person in this room. And I pray that you would empower them and work beautifully through their lives this week. So we begin to see that fruit that can come from abiding in you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, My question to you, um, as we just grab some coffee, um, we'd like to spend our time at the very end greeting one another so we don't interrupt kind of the service, but so that we have as much time as you need to greet someone or say hi and see how they're doing. And um, my question to you would be is, um, how do you begin to cultivate that soil in your heart? What is something you need right now? Is it you need some time just to refresh, to sit and sit at God's feet, some time to get away from things, or maybe it's time in God's word. I don't know what it is for you, but share that with somebody uh, before you leave. Um, And uh, yeah, meet somebody. Grab some coffee, some deliciousness, and uh, have a great afternoon.